Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Mike Finger. Mike's had multiple exits and he's here today with us and I'm really grateful to have you here. Uh, Love to hear your story, man. Thanks for being on the show. Ron, my pleasure. Awesome. I start the same place with every guest and I kind of joke around sometimes. I say, man, you were born and then now, you know, some along, a lot of things happened and now you ended up on my show. Uh, What's occurred in your life? What's your origin story? How did you end up on a podcast about buying and selling a business? Yeah. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity for the conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Is I, I suppose there's a traditional path to business ownership, and I, I don't think it includes getting an undergraduate degree in theology and a master's degree in public and nonprofit administration. But that's how mine started. Um, had my education, started working uh, for a small social service agency in South Minneapolis, and. Uh, got the bug. My wife and I cut our dining room table in half to make two desks and started serving clients out of our living room. That, uh, that literally happened. And, uh, I, I, it turns out that, uh, I'm a bit of a growth junkie. You can't see me hitting my, uh, the vein in my arm here, but I'm, uh, you know, it was the next client, then the next employee, and then the next business, uh, started a second business at the same time. And uh, grew that those two businesses to 50 full-time employees. Um, came to the realization that my employees were trying to kill me. It wasn't intentional on their part, but it was the path that we were on. Uh, I, I would joke with people that I was scheduling in my um, heart attack, but there was a little voice in the back of my head that says, this is not a joke. And so I did what so many small business owners do uh, to start their Uh, sell a business education. I called a broker and said, I want to sell my business. Let's get this done. And they said, after doing a little investigation, sorry, I can't help you. Then the second one said, sorry, I can't help you. And the third one said, sorry, I can't help you. And I found myself sitting at my desk at the lowest professional point in my life. I, I couldn't believe that I was doing $5 million in revenue and had an unsellable business. How, how could that be? I had read the article, Ron, that said that businesses in my industry could expect one to two times revenue. And then I learned when I actually wanted to sell that revenue had absolute, absolutely nothing to do with the potential opportunity for me to sell my business. Something so basic that I had missed. And so... I, I can still remember that moment where I had to ask myself, what am I going to do? And walking out the door with nothing was a real option at that point. I, I mean, it was just, again, I, anyone who's been there or is there, I don't need to talk any more about it. Anyone who hasn't been there, I could probably talk about it for the next hour and they wouldn't get it. So um, decided to to figure out how to make this business that I had built different. And over the next five years, started to make the small changes to the business that I was learning needed to be made in order for the business to be attractive to a buyer. Five years later, 
uh, we successfully sold sold the businesses. That experience, that sale, was uh, a a miracle in my life. It was a it was a life do over. I can't describe it any other way. It gave me the opportunity to step back and say, what do I want to spend my time doing? What am I good at? What am I enjoying? Um, I actually worked as a business broker for about a year, uh, helping others buy and sell, loved part of that, hated part of that. Uh, spent three years uh, running a small incubator, helping startup and growth companies start up and grow faster and missed the, uh, missed the ownership piece. So jumped back in and over the next several years bought, bought and sold two small businesses. I think primarily to prove to myself that what had happened the first time wasn't a fluke. Um, and again, uh, had good outcomes. It, it, I, I had better outcomes in shorter periods of time than I did with the first go round. So uh, after this, that last sale, realized that I, I genuinely enjoyed this sell a business space. I did not want to do work that was transactional. I didn't want to sell your business and then never hear from you again. And so that's when I started the business I'm in now, which is called Exit Oasis. I coach small business owners who are interested in creating a business that they can sell when they want to. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about what makes you know a $5 million. A lot of people think when somebody says their business is unsellable, it's because it's too small. What makes a $5 million revenue business unsellable? Uh, too owner-dependent, not enough owner cash flow, um, lack of systems, uh, inconsistency with the team, any of a long list of things. And, and again, we, we, we look at that and we say, well, how could that be? Well, here's where the brokers play their little game, right? And it's, I think it's innocent, but I've got a broker friend who says, I can sell any business but the owner might not like the terms, right? Uh, I could have probably sold that business uh, for 10 grand deferred over you know, <laughs> you know, three years, right? Or for 50 grand with, I, I probably could have sold the business, but for any, uh, through any pragmatic evaluation, it was unsellable because it wouldn't have made sense for me to go down the line and do that, show up to closing, write a check to the broker because the proceeds aren't enough to cover the sale. It was unsellable. And the truth, if you look at the stats, is that the vast majority of small business owners today own an unsellable business, and most of them don't know it. Yeah, there's a, there's a, some t- statistics out there that show like 80% of all businesses that make it to the listing don't even sell. That's and right. then that doesn't include, and if you look at that, and if that's from like Biz by Sell and those type of sites... What it doesn't include is all the businesses like yours where the broker said, eh, you don't want to go down this path yet. Right. 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 Maybe it's a misconceivement or a um, miss. What am I looking for? What am I looking for there uh, in the market space that once you hit a certain revenue number, you must have a sellable business because it's big enough. Right. Right. Well, I, I, I when I talk to owners about this, I, I, I tell them and I mean this honestly, I can I can build a two million dollar business by the end of this year. Uh, without a problem, you just have to give me two and a half million dollars, <laughs> right? I, I'll, I'll right. buy something and sell it cheaper than I bought it for. And away I go. Revenue is easy. Profit is hard. Retained earnings are hard. Not not profit in the sense that we talk about it as small business owners sometimes, right? I invested all my profit back into the business. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not how profit, that's not profit. Now, if it hits your bottom line, you paid taxes on it, and then you 
gave yourself a loan the next year. Now you're reinvesting money back in the business, but just uh, spending down profit before the end of the year, that's not reinvesting profit. That's not creating transferable value in your business. And, and again, I am incredibly sympathetic to small business owners in this space in part because I want to be sympathetic to myself and why didn't I get it? I don't think the messaging in our, in this sell a business space is clear about this stuff. Um, the entire industry is compensated by complexity, right? Brokers, attorneys, accountants, all of those folks make their money because they legitimately take care of something that's highly technical and easy to mess up if you're not doing it every day. Okay, great. That's really important. But that is not why 90 to 95% of small business owners fail to sell. They fail to sell because of something simple. But no one is compensated by sending that message. No one out there gets paid to deliver a, hey, here's the basics. Here's what you have to do. Focus exclusively on these things because the other stuff doesn't matter if you don't get these things done, right? It, Ron, if I ask you, it, it, you go to your doctor and ask him, um, how do I live longer? What's the doctor going to say? Eat healthier exercise. Right, yeah. right. Why do they say that? Why It, it doesn't make their, what the doctor does any less important. It, they empower you to do things that can give you the opportunity to have a dramatic impact on your lifespan. Okay, Ron? What's the answer to that question for the small business owner? How do I make my business more sellable? Increase. Our, in, our <laughs> industry has avoided that question yep. because no one makes money from that. Nobody I, I tells. I'm sorry. Go ahead. As I say, nobody tells them that you know it comes down to sellers' discretionary earnings and or and or I guess EBITDA if it's a big enough company. Like, what are you able to take home at the end of the day? I spent the first year and a half before I ever launched this business creating this massive structure of here's everything someone needs to know. I got that done in about a month. And then I spent the next year and a half taking things out until I came up with what I feel. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. Here's what I think the eat right and exercise is in this space. And to me, it comes down to three questions. Are my results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate my results? And can I document my results? If you can answer yes to those three simple questions, I believe your business is way down the path of sellability. If you've got a no in any of them, you're going to run into serious trouble uh, with, with selling your business. It, to me, focusing small business owners on that, those elements um, is what gives them the opportunity to fundamentally change their their opportunity or their ability to sell their business. I get it. I mean, there are things out there that are highly desirable. And um, I mean, sometimes they're just hard to turn a profit in. So um, if you're coming out of, like, I guess there's the thing I'm thinking of is like the whole search funder thing, right? There's people who come out of college and they've got their degree. And instead of going to work for somebody there, they start a search fund and, and look for a company they can buy. And if you think about it, you know, um, if I'm trying to think of like veterinarian services and other stuff where the, or dental services and stuff like that, 
if you were to go out and start that day one, you got a lot of equipment to purchase, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to, to, to set up. Um, so I can see on the, like, you know, buy versus build, how those things uh, come in. So it, that would, to be desirable, could be in that realm. Yeah, I just need everything there. I need everything, you know, set up and running. But when you're looking at most businesses, like, I'm a buyer. I'm looking at your last three years profits, your last three years. You know, how, how are, well is are my results desirable, right? Are, yep. are you producing seller's discretionary earnings in, an, in a way that's going to allow me to buy the business? And again, two basic needs. I need to earn a living and I need to service the debt. I know there's a lot of other things we can add on there, right? Uh, uh, oh, well, I want to return on my investment. I want to. Okay, forget that stuff. If you can't do those first two things for your buyer, where do we go? Because even if I love your business, Ron, I love your business. I want to buy it. Oh, I've always wanted to do that, but I can't pay rent, uh, <laughs> or, or, or I can't pay, I can't service the bank loan. Those are doesn't matter. None of the other stuff matters. It, it's it's those basics that. They get lost and we know it and the brokers know it and everyone involved in the industry knows it, but they don't make money off the businesses that don't do that. It's interesting is we just spoke uh, right before I moved to California here. We spoke to a, uh, an auto servicing company. They tint windows, they do detailing, they fix that, uh, upholstery, that type of stuff. And they were doing, I want to say 1.5, 1.7 million in revenue. Yep. They're fairly profitable. And so we did get on the phone call because, you know, that they passed our initial screening and the owner was like, well, I'm willing to stay on part time. OK, what does that look? You know, I, I, I'm, he's he's a, a, a pro golfer on the side. He wants more time for golf and less time at the business. So the red flag was when we said, OK, what does part time look like for you? Uh, if you want to stay working in the company, be around it and stuff. He says, well, you know, no more than 40 hours a week. I'm like, OK, what are you doing now? You know. Oh, I do 60 to 80. And right. I was like, okay, that's a red flag. He's doing more than one job. And then I said, do you have anybody else? Because the way he said it was like it was normal, right? So my question was, do you have anybody else at your company working that kind of hours? He's like, yeah, our tinter. Uh, we, we only have one tinting guy here. And uh, it comes out, the guy's working like between 12 and 16 hour days. Sure. Um, he's on commission, which, you know, can get you in trouble when you're working that many hours. So uh, anyway. So it's just that red flag. If I've got two employees between the two of them, two out of seven employees at this company, I only had seven employees, um, about seven, that are pulling the jobs equivalent man hour wise of about four people. Right. So, right. and if you look at the profit margins, if you pay to replace those four people, it's no longer desirable. Yep. I, I certainly, and, and it was a remote business. So if we're buying it, it needs to be well run. We need to have an operator in place. That's the reason we even entertained leaving the owner there is we were going to hire an on- operator anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, again, those basics kill most deals. But we as owners, where do we go for that? Where, where do we what, that eat right and exercise? Right. We see mm-hmm. that message everywhere. It's a consistent. We don't have that in our industry. And I think it dramatically reduces the availability of businesses that can be sold. And ironically, it, it, it feeds into that brokerage culture, right? That uh, hunt instead of, they're hunters, not farmers, right? I, I want to see a business that I can take down right now and sell and go. It's not about that grooming of, hey, if we, if we increase the amount of sellable businesses by 
wow, what what an impact on the industry. But that doesn't that doesn't pay the brokers' bills. So, so. and this is a a lot of people don't get it that this is a huge problem, right? We have a lot of uh, businesses out there. I think the last statistic was like 51% uh, of all businesses, uh, small business, small to medium businesses in the United States are owned and operated by the boomer generation, baby boomer generation, right? They call it the silver tsunami. Right. And uh, so all those in the next few years between probably 10 max of 15 years, either are going to get shut down or change hands. Right. Um, either by, retirement, death, you know, it's going to happen, right? Going to happen. None of those guys are going to live forever. And many of them are already in their sixties and seventies running a business. So there's a problem here that needs to be solved. And if you think about most entrepreneurs, we've covered this on the show quite a bit. Uh, The coin phrase that we came up with, and I'm sure other people call it is accidental entrepreneurship, meaning they never intended to start a business. They did something really well. Somebody said, Hey, do that for me. Right. They yep. do that for them. They get paid and like, hey, I kind of like this. And another friend asks for it. Next thing they know, they're, you know, they, they produce, let's call it a widget, right? They produce a widget. People want the widget. So they make it. They're really good at making it. And then it just kind of organically grew into a business. Nobody's taught these guys. And I'll even go as far as say that most doctors and dentists and chiropractors are never taught how to start and run a business. Right. So they just kind of, they, they go do what they do. They make a great widget and then they hand this stuff over to a tax person and they get smacked around the first couple of years. And then they engineer all their only financials is what does it take to get the CPA off my back when I do my taxes at the end of the year or when I do the review quarterly. They've never been really taught or shown what it looks like to run a well-run run business. Well, and they, they don't have that buyer's perspective, but Let's let's give let's give those owners a, a little grace in that. What are the messages they receive? What does the broker say? I can sell any business. Call me when you're ready to sell. I'll get you the best price. Th- those are the me- that's the messaging, right? It, oh, it, absolutely. It's yeah. it's always about uh, the uh, I, I you you will be able to do this with your when you're ready. And so my 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 both my favorite and my least favorite phrase that that owners use is. I, I don't want to deal with this right now. I will get my business ready to sell when I'm ready to sell it. <laughs> yeah. I will get my business ready to sell when I'm ready to sell it because we think, okay, I've got time. And and we don't realize that ready to sell is what happens after you get the call from the doctor with the new diagnosis. Ready to sell is what happens when your spouse gets transferred across the country to a new job. Ready to sell is like me waking up in the mirror, looking in the or looking in the mirror and seeing a, a crispy piece of toast looking back, right? That's what ready to sell feels like. And then you learn two, three, four years to get your business ready for sale, right? You alluded to it earlier. I want to look at three years of financials. Well, if I've been aggressively tax planning and made all of my profit disappear for the last five years, what do you see when you look at it as a buyer? You see a business that doesn't produce any profit. Uh, Well, guess what? you got to change that. And if you're not doing it in process, uh, it's really, really, I can tell you from personal experience, it's really hard to do that when you are at the bottom, when you are burnt out, when you are, when you want to sell it, making those changes in there, they don't necessarily need to be massive changes, but it's like 
right? We, if we're going this way and then we make a one degree change, we'll end up in a very different place over time. And that's the key. It takes time. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, you know, if you look at plotting, uh, like plotting direction on a map and stuff, you don't realize that the one or two degrees, you know, uh, over a long enough period of time could put you in an entirely different continent. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Uh, what are some of the changes? Like, what is the message that we, the brokers, uh, acquisition entrepreneurs, that type of stuff? What is the message that we should be sending out? You know, it's a great question, and and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna intentionally give you a provocative answer. I don't think we can trust those people to do it. I don't think we can trust the brokers to do it. I don't think we can trust the others uh, that we've we mentioned, lawyers, attorneys, even acquisition entrepreneurs who I. I lovingly referred to as business gigolos. Those are the <laughs> ones that are getting in and getting out and they're dancing and they're doing their thing. And it's about the transaction. That's where I'm making my money. We're talking about business owners, right? We are talking about people who have been in the community, writing checks to the local band, doing the stuff, um, building their reputation for 10, 20, 30 years. I don't think we can trust that audience that we, those, those professionals we identify to groom those. I think it's going to have to come somewhere else. It's going to have to come from uh, owners passing on the messaging. I think it's going to have to come from, I, I think we're part of where we're seeing it now, which is interesting. And it goes back to the silver tsunami you've talked about. We're starting to see it in some economic development programs. We're starting to see it with some chambers of commerce, with some, especially in, in rural areas where they are seeing if we don't figure out how to transfer ownership on these businesses successfully, our business base is going to be decimated, right? Because there's 75 businesses in town. And to your point, uh, 40 or 50 of them are owned by people over 60. Okay. If you can't sell that business, those jobs go away. And maybe that, maybe that owner can, can sell, sell the business. But when I say sell the business, I'm not talking about selling your stuff, right? If I can make an asset sale of my stuff, somebody shows up in a truck and drives away with it and I've sold the business, uh, but unless they're driving to a location nearby, those jobs aren't going with it. Interesting. You know, maybe this falls in the hands of like the local chambers of commerces, the local, um, like you were saying, um, the cities that take a look at that to create some type of educational program, maybe, um, you know, uh, score, score and some of these other places can put information out. Um, I'm thinking about that is it's actually a great lead in for them, you know, for them to, to get members to, to work with score, to get, to get, um, people to show up for the chamber is like, look, you know, a public campaign of, Hey, we, you know, this is, you know, think I'm right here in the Woodward forest. There's not that many businesses around here, but let's just go back to Tulsa. You know, there's, you know, X number of, of thousand businesses in Tulsa. Um, 45% of them are owned by 65 and older, you know, there's a real problem. You, do, you know, yeah. do you know that it takes three to four years to properly sell your business? That that friend always telling you about, he said, what do I do? I said, spend the next year getting, you know, systems, processes, and your, your, your money, right. You yep. know, get your financials, right. As, you know, as seen, like, you know, research what a deal room looks like, create it now, and then edit it, edit it every quarter, update that. 
as if you if you if you were trying to sell it now figure out what your goal is and then know that once you're at the goal you probably need to sit there and run it like that for two to three years so that a guy like myself can see the track record that it yep. can run that and sustain that yeah um, Nobody. Those are those are exactly the action steps that we draw from those questions I asked earlier, right? Are my results desirable? What what are the two action steps? Increase your seller's discretionary earnings and improve your job, right? As the owner, make it easier to be the owner here. Uh, can a buyer duplicate my results? Build systems, build a team, right? Those are the two action steps. Uh, uh, can I document my results? Keep clean records, right? I, 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 again, it's about those basic elements. That's not going to. It's not going to keep something, some minutia from from killing a deal. But in bulk, it raises us. But to, it's interesting to your 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 solution thought about the you know the chamber doing education and that sort of thing. I'm seeing some doing that, and I think that's really important. But it's also important how they do it. Because I, I've, I've gotten owners come to me after they come to me and they say, well, I'm going to sell my business through an ESOP. Yep. How, how in the world are you? Okay, well, why do you think that? Well, I went to this three-hour session that the sponsor, and then I, then I tell them the numbers about ESOPs in the United States and how minuscule the number that actually happened are. So if you're in that 0.02%, Yes, maybe you can sell your ESOP, but hey, buddy, you've got 10 employees and you run a cabinet making shop. You ain't ESOP material. So let's, uh, right? But, but that's where we go. We, we cherry pick these, um, these technical solutions because someone's pushing those because they're compensated by doing it. And again, I'm not saying they're bad for doing that. I'm saying the vast majority of small business owners in this space are not underserved. They are unserved when it comes to this topic area. I get it. You know, the um, if you look at that space, um, there's there's a group of those business owners who they're I want to say what's the word I'm looking for? They're just burnt out, right? You mm -hmm. get to the point where you want to if you wait until you want to sell. I think you said this earlier. You may not have the energy. <laughs> you, yeah. just, you know. Uh, a lot of businesses that come to me on the table is like, hey, I'm really ready to sell this. If you look at it, the last three, if they give me the last three years, they probably did better on year two, two years ago than they did last year versus what they did this year. And it's because they're already kind of semi resigning from the whole thing that they just don't want to do it anymore. Sure. That's the exact opposite of what we're looking to see as, as a, you know, somebody trying to acquire something. And uh, in my space, I hold and I do your gigolo thing, right? I'll, I, I have businesses that I'll look into that, I just want to bolt onto something else and sell it to them. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, that, that I, I, I think about this sometimes and, and my brain goes to analogies and I'm like, I, I see these people who are legitimately providing valuable information. I think what you share Ron, on the program is helpful it, for, for, for an intentional, um, a small business owner who wants to learn, that's what they got to do. They got to start becoming a sponge, right? They got to start taking this stuff in. Um, but whether or not what Ron is looking for in a business um, is, is what you should do to prep your business for sale, Ron's got a very specific set yep. of desires and needs that he's looking for. I, I, I see this uh, right now in the, uh, uh, in the online space, uh, Amazon stores and the like. There's been private equity groups that have put funding together to purchase 
uh, those and and they'll come up with here's what we're looking for and and I, I've seen owners chase those specifications not understanding that those groups are ultimately going to buy an incredibly small percentage of small businesses in that space while an individual buyer is much more likely to be your buyer but they have a different set of needs. And so you might be chasing revenue for that guy who says, I'm buying revenue in this space, but that doesn't mean that Bill down the street can pay his mortgage if he buys your business. Yeah, there's multiple buyers out there, right? There's the private equity, there's the, uh, you know, operator buyer, somebody's just looking for their, you know, they want to buy their next job. There's an investor like myself who's buying for investment purposes, wants to hold some, wants to sell some. Yep. And if depending on what hat I'm wearing, even my criteria change, right? If I'm holding it long term, I love recurring revenue. And that's why we've got to start as owners with who's my most likely buyer. Yeah. And then let's target them. And the good news is, is it's not like we, if, if I'm building my business so that it can be easily purchased by an individual who looks like me, right? That's what I tell, I tell owners. I say, look, you want to know your buyer? Look, or look in the mirror. It, they're going to look like you. Um, they're going to be, they're most likely going to be an individual. And uh, if you build your business so that person can buy your business, those same traits are attractive to the private equity buyer. Those same traits are, because again, it goes back to those basics. They're going to expect certain things of you. You know, you, you get, you ask for X amount of money for your business and no matter what that exit is, whether it was a good price or a low price, they're going to go, okay, we'll give you this much up front. And, you know, this much when you hit this goal and a lot of those goals are lofty. There's goals right. that they see. Um, and if you learn to play that game, it's a very profitable game. I was on here with uh, Adam uh, Coffee, and, um, you know, he sold the same company four or five times through that through that process and stayed the CEO of it and took a heat and air company to a billion dollar, you know, revenue. Right. And, and I love those stories, but I'm going to be I'm going to be honest here. I think they hurt small business owners. I, 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 I'm because that's not going to be your experience. If I'm, if I'm talking to an audience of a thousand small business owners, that's not going to be your experience. Maybe one of you, maybe two of you, right? So why don't you guys leave? And then the rest of us will stay and talk about how this is really going to work for you. I, I and I, I, again, I, I, I anger some when I do that, but I tell them, I, I tell my owners, don't worry about private equity. Don't worry about ESOPs. Don't worry about family uh, uh, offices. Right. Family offices. Don't uh, just set those aside. But I read articles, Ron, where those are the only buyers identified. They don't even talk about the individual, which is the vast majority of buyers. I think the last the last report I saw showed seventy plus percent of buyers in that quarter were individual buyers. That's because who employs a journalist? <laughs> right. right, right. I, I, again, I, 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 you can tell I get a little frustrated, but I'm also passionate about this because I think there's a lot of well-intentioned small business owners who feel like they've done their homework. I know I had. I know I did. I know I felt I had. I'd read the articles. I, I thought I had it figured out, and what had been presented. What I had found, what was out there, it, it, what was easy to find was wrong. It was just wrong as it related to what uh, was going to happen. So 
what do most of us do as small business owners? What's our plan? We, we look at the complexity, we get frustrated, freaked out by it. And then we go to our fallback plan, which is I'll wait and then I'll fail. That, that's how most of us deal with the sell a business space. We wait to get involved in it and then we fail to sell successfully. If you look at the venture capitalist group, there's a kind of a catchphrase people call as their unicorns, right? I actually think that in the business selling business, the unicorn is thinking you're going to sell a sub $10 million revenue business to a private equity, to a home office or something. And because it's the unicorns, they're, they're definitely, those guys are definitely acquiring businesses. They are definitely players in the field, but they are hunting for a, such a specific thing right. that, uh, you know, it's, it's you're kind of in that VC startup phase. You're, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to be a unicorn, right? Right. Right. Um, right. And know. if that's your play, great. That that's a legitimate strategy, but that's a very narrow, very, very narrow strategy, right? Yeah. The numbers of companies that can be in that space that have, I, I mean, we know the failure rate there is massive, mm-hmm. um, but it, Hey, if that's what you're doing, if you're playing, if you're playing big stakes, that's it. But let's not confuse that with the little plumbing shop and the, you know, the oil change place and, and all of these others. Owners, small business owners, we are not in M&A. Right. We are just trying to sell our small business. So if it's got an M&A tag on it, just set it aside. It almost certainly doesn't apply to you. You know, the guy asked me, said, uh, I'm trying to, I'm thinking, you know, the same guy, he's like, I'm, you know, when the earlier part of the conversation is like, how do I learn what you know? I was like, well, I'm 50, you're 27, <laughs> right? This, uh, this one guy who went and tried to sell something. So I've got five college degrees, uh, an MBA in marketing, and I've spent the last two years and about $20,000 being mentored by everybody I can get my hands on, right. on this M&A space. You don't have to do that to sell a business. You don't have to go out and spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars to get mentored in M&A, you need to talk to guys like you and other people out there who have your best interest in mind to change your business to make it marketable. You don't have to learn learn a new dictionary of terms and acronyms and abbreviations right. and EBITDAs and you know, sellers discretionary earnings and all that other stuff. You know, you just need somebody that can take a look at it and go, hey, here's, the, you know, here's your next step. I, I tell I tell owners, you can just ignore learning how to sell a business. You don't need to spend your time on that. Focus exclusively on how to create a business that can be sold. That's all you need to worry about at this point. When you get to that point, okay, now you can spend time. Do I want to hire a broker? Am I going to use an online platform? What's going to be the best opportunity forward? But none of that, all of that knowledge is meaningless if you don't have a sellable business. And, and I, Ron, how many times have you seen that? People who, you know, they think they've got it dialed in in terms of process, but they're out there peddling something that is going to cost me fifty grand a month if I buy from them. Right now, it's not. Not only is it not going to cash flow, but I got to bring money to the table to every month just to own it. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at one. I learned a new question over the last couple of months, and it's like, uh, I, I, I usually word it in just kind of in the report phase is what exactly does your significant other do, right? Your wife or whatever it happens to be, husband. And uh, the reason I asked that is a lot of these companies that look fairly steady, but you see if you if you looked at them over a longer period of time, more than three years, and you kind of take a look at it, they're cyclical. And how, like, wow, this guy must be really good at managing money 
because he's got, you know, every three to four years, the market turns on him. Real estate's like that every 10, 10 years or so, 12, 15 years, we have a crash. You know, how did you live through that last one? And then you look at it like, he must have saved. If you really dig into their books and you, and you look at, you get into their accounting system when you you do your actual full due diligence system and you got access to things, and like, well, we've you had a couple of bad years. Uh, you must have saved some money. I see these infusions. I learned the question is, what does your wife do? What does your significant partner do? Because a lot of times they're doctors, lawyers, <laughs> high right. income net worth people, and you know, uh, your honey's been bailing you out. Right. Uh, right. It, it was a tax write-off. Okay. Well, I'm not looking to buy a tax write-off. I'm, I'm looking to buy a stream of income. I can't buy groceries with a tax write-off. doesn't work. It's funny. Is, uh, when I was, I, I was in the military for a while and I was living in Hawaii. I decided I was like, I applied for some government-based jobs there and they were paying significantly less than, you know, uh, the state side, like even California. And I, they're like, but you live in Hawaii. And I was like, sunshine doesn't pay my bills. Right. So uh, the same thing here is, uh, yeah. you know, you know, your story's not going to pay your bills. Um, you, you, the numbers have to be there. The tax write-offs aren't going to pay your bills. Um, you know, it'll, you know, they're good to have occasionally, but, uh, or when they, when they're needed. So let's yeah, jump in. It, it, it's a, it, it's this big monster out there for us as small business owners and um, it, it, focusing in on the simple, that's what that's what it's got to be. Let's kind of do like a, I don't know, role play or whatever, but I come to you, I've got a business and I'm thinking about selling it. What are some of the first questions that you ask to kind of get a gauge of where that business is at so our audience knows what they need to start thinking about? Uh, it's really interesting. I, I, I actually just had an intake with a new client yesterday. Um, uh, my approach for my first meeting, we take a, a two-hour deep dive on a client, uh, uh, on the business and on the owner. And I do that without taking a look at financials. And I do that because I solely want to understand how they view their business. I'll ask them what they think it's worth, if they're ready to sell, what they like about the business, the high points, low points. We'll, we'll take a deep dive because for businesses that size, it, it's as important what's going on inside of the owner's head as what's going on inside of the business. The, the, those two elements compete. The, the second meeting is a deep dive on the financials, right? They, they, they send me three years of financials and all of that is focused. And, and, and this is the one piece of, uh, of, uh, of the complexity that I encourage small business owners to focus on. You have to have a deep understanding of the term seller's discretionary earnings. You need to understand what that means. And so what we'll do is we will splice that business and we will take a look at it and we will do an analysis of seller's discretionary earnings as it relates to how a buyer is going to view that business, right? The question, how early were we in this process, Ron, when we when we understood the question, does it cash flow, right? Can I buy this, pay the debt, and will it cash flow? Because if it does, then the the whole conversation gets different. Most don't, right? I, I, you go to a biz buy sell listing and you just start going through the stuff, uh, doing the quick math on what they share with you. And you're like, 
that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. This one might work. Okay. Now there's, now I can drill down a little deeper. Unless you're looking for something very specific as a buyer, Hey, I'm buying plumbing companies. There's a plumbing company. I might go further on it, but for most buyers, you look at them all the time, Ron, is there anything more important to you when you, when you sit down and look at a business? There's not. And, um, you know, uh, I would probably say the two highest things for me personally, because I have other assets is seller's discretionary earnings. How much does it, can, can it make? How much is it making? You know, and the second one is liability issues, right? Sure. How, how uh, legit is this? You know, that's not the word I'm looking for. Basically, how likely am I going to get sued by owning this? How many lawsuits, you know, you have already, are already weathered or in play. So, uh, cause I'm a little resistant to being in spaces like that, but the numbers matter and, and more so than almost anything else. Right. I've and, turned and, companies away for, because I can't manage the culture. Right. I was, I said sure. this on the show we recorded yesterday at a business out of Texas where they found out the owner manages by kicking trash cans, cussing and throwing things around the room and stomping his feet. Sure. People have, and he's like, he says, I've got employees have been here for 15 years. I said, yeah, but those employees only know how to work in that environment and I don't know how to hire that guy and I don't want to be that guy. Right. Yeah. No, it's a great point. And, and uh, I mean, you, to answer your, your last question, to give a little peek behind the curtain, the, the process that I go through with a client or that I encourage small business to go through if they're doing this on their own, what are my exit goals? What does a business, what does the business need to look like to likely be able to pursue, uh, produce that exit goal, right? The average sales uh, multiple is 2.5 times seller's discretionary earnings, right? So can you meet your exit goal for 2.5 what your seller's discretionary earnings is? Okay. So what does the business need to look like to do that? And then where are we now? And then our process is to go from where we are now to creating a business that is likely to create the exit that we want. It's again, it's a straightforward process. Now that doesn't mean we have to list the business for 2.5, right? If you can get 3.5 on it, gravy, wonderful, but let's create a business that produces the exit that we want in the real world. That last in, part's important. In the real world. <laughs> and I, 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 the important part of the, in the real world is be careful when you go to a broker um, on what he says you can add back, right? The add backs for sellers, sellers discretionary earnings. So anybody that doesn't know what an add back is, is like, so say you have a, you, you lease a company vehicle that you drive on a day to day basis. I don't need your vehicle. It's an add back, right? We can right. add that back in and I'll pay a multiple on your revenue or your uh, profit that would have went to pay for that vehicle. Yep. I've seen some brokers take a lot of liberty in what they add back, right? I, I'm smiling because I'm remembering the the um, the owner who pulled me aside and she said, listen, I just want to let you know that we have never, we haven't bought toilet paper at home since we've owned the business. So <laughs> that's a couple hundred bucks of add back every year. So well, it doesn't work that way. We can't quite, but they, they get that concept and they get excited as I did, right? It, but the reality is, is again, we're in that third question. Um, can, uh, can you document your results, right? If you right. can't show me, I can't trust you. Right. The, um, the other one on side of that, like expenses that are added back and stuff is um, along the lines of, what am I looking for? 
um, I had a company that I looked at. They had 55 employees and the insurance premiums inside of their company were unbelievable. And it comes to find out they were paying like over and beyond. Uh, basically, they were paying for the top policy and the majority of all, all the stuff on that. But on top of it, the, they, so they tried to add back in, uh, well, we overpay on insurance, so you can shift this. And if you shifted this and like, no, 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 you have to make the shift first. It has to show up on your books and accounting. You can't add back in hypothetical. If you run it this way, yep. um, you know, it's the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a, a little phrase I like. It's something along the lines of you can't, you know, wishes and promises. You can't add them back in. Right. You know, yep. uh, and a lot of a lot of brokers will convince a, uh, will convince the owner. I don't think it's the owner's wrong doing this. It's the brokers. As a matter of fact, I'm at the point now where I don't solicit brokers for deals whatsoever. I don't look at biz by sale. I figure out what industries I'm I'm looking at, and I go do my research on them, and I do out direct outreach. And I start talking to those business owners, and uh, you know, f- figure out where they're trying to go, where they want to be, and if it's if they want to sell, I, I'll, we'll have that conversation. Yeah, but um. And that scale of aggressive addbacks almost always directly relates to how little profit is being shown on the uh, on the profit loss to begin with, right? Well, I show I haven't made. I, I remind uh, owners that uh, you will never hear someone say, "I'm going to buy your business because of how little you paid in taxes." That that's what makes your business attractive to me. It doesn't work that way. It, paying taxes. That's a good thing. It means you're making money. Let's start there. Now, be aggressive in your tax planning? Absolutely. Uh, But let's start from the place where you have a business that is actually making money. I got it. So let's take a look at the industry as a whole. Are there other myths out there that you just like just totally drive you nuts in, in your profession that you wish just didn't exist? Like common beliefs that are out there? Oh, Let's see how much time do we have left? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, and again, and I just want to remind people as I talk about these things, and I say small business owners, these things always occur because I remember that I believed them myself. Right? Um, how long it takes to sell a business, the likelihood of selling the business, what I will sell the business for. We as owners get most of that wrong, and I, I, I think a lot of that. Um, is a function of, of survivor bias, right? What are the stories that we hear about? Well, they're the successful sales. Yeah. And how did that successful sale work? We hear occasionally about the failed sale, right? Oh, I did this, but then the broker screwed it up on the day before closing, or I did this and the financing fell through. Or we'll, we'll hear some of those, but those are almost always told from a complexity narrative perspective, right? There was this little thing I missed or that little thing I missed. Then there's this vast pool of stories of owners who never sold and never got the chance to sell. And uh, those are the ones, those are the, uh, that's where that, that, that's those simple myths come into play. Um, What is the old saying that history is written by the winners? That's Uh, right. That's right. So, uh, if you think about it, it's actually difficult. There's a, there's a reason. I think there's a secondary reason why we don't hear those stories. I actually have a team of people who look for people like you to get on the show. I try, I love doing little mini series and I try to do a little, you know, 
uh, boom or bust mini series where I talked to business owners who successfully sold. And then I wanted to talk to eight or 10 who tried to sell, but it failed miserably. And we could not get them to come on a show and explain why their business didn't sell. Interesting. Uh, it's just, they just don't want to publicly talk about it. It's a shameful act in their mind. And I don't think it is. I don't think there's any shame in, in that, in the respect it, was there mistakes made? Very possibly uh, you waited too long to sell. You didn't put, put into plan the action items that you and your company could teach them to do. Often, more often than not, the decision to sell like that in a shorter period of time was an external factor, right? Divorce, sure. moving, you know, medical diagnosis, uh, you know, um, it's, not, it's not always just burnout. And in those cases, there's no fault there, right? right? Um, it, it's, uh, I, I, failure is part of the journey. I have owned eight businesses. I've sold four successfully, two failed, and I still own two. Um, that's, uh, and I've, I feel thrilled with those, with those numbers. It, it, it uh, uh, it absolutely, um, but the, the, I, I learned more in the failures than I did in the successes, um, and, and, and going through those, through that journey. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think, so much of the storytelling that we hear about is from the uh, M&A golden god, right? That, that, that I sold my business for $117 million after 12 months of ownership on a Tuesday, right? Tell me, what, why do you think those are the stories that get told? Is it just human nature that's going to be a sexy appeal? Or, um, I think so. I, if you look at like what what stories sell, what stories, and when I say sell, it gets clicks, right? What is clickbait? To, that somebody's gonna click on it, read the story. It's the the the, the treasure hunters, right? The huge win. I, I sold my business for eight x, you know. Right. And it's we love dirty laundry. I crash burn and, and miserable. So it's either you don't get that mid level story because it's just mid level, and it you know. Get, to get writers to write about it and get people to talk about it, right? They talk about what earn, earns them money. What earns right. them money is what grabs eyeballs, and what grabs eyeballs is the treasure hunters, uh, the unicorns, right? Right. Or the miserable crash burn. I went to jail because I did it wrong. Kind of just like the worst case scenario right. <laughs> um, stories. So, I, so it becomes infotainment instead of education or actual applicable information. So that's one of the reasons I don't think that your story can be told through the media. I mean, you can do your own blogs and stuff like that. I think your story almost has to be told through directly to the, the you know, directly or indirectly webinar. Ron, like are that. you saying I lack sex appeal? <laughs> I say, I'm saying that uh, you're going to have a hard time getting clickbait, you know, you know the clickable stories out there about, uh, I sold my oil change business for three X, you know, right. it's just, people aren't going to read it. Even, Even though guy, it changes the owner's life dramatically. Yeah. I can send a link to that story to every oil, uh, change place in this, in the state or in, in all 50 States. And I bet if you looked at it, you would, and the subject line was how I sold my oil change business for three times my profit. I would say your open rate would probably be less than 20%. It'd be a fun, fun test to do. Right. Um, I don't think people would open it and read it. Now, if you put in there how I sold my uh, you know, oil change company for 10X, you know, $50 million, and you'd have 
two to three times that, right? right. People want to buy into a dream. And, uh, you know, the cool thing would be probably to track all the ones that open the, the, what should be normal story because those right. are your clients. <laughs> right. right? Th that should be normal story that is unattainable for most. Right. I mean, we, we haven't even touched on the, uh, the 80% that are below that, that have un unsellable businesses to begin with. Right. It, 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 uh, yeah. Um, that's, you, you talk about the myth, the, 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 the building out there, that that's one that, that gets me. I, I refer to it as M and a porn. It's, it, you know, it's that, uh, that storytelling that's so out there. It might be true, but it's just, it proves the fact that it's not going to happen to the rest of us, but it's presented as if it can. And even, even more dangerous, I think, is that the story is told in a way that implies that you as a small business owner should do similar things to what they did if you want to sell successfully, when in fact, some of the things that they do are the direct opposite of what you should do. Big business truth is not small business truth. Exactly. I believe that 100%. So we're getting close to the top of the hour. Let's cover some very important things. Tell me about, uh, we've got like five minutes left. Tell me about how people reach out to you and um, your business is New Oasis, right? Uh, Exit Oasis. Exit Oasis. Uh, yeah. Uh, don't, don't yep, no, the easy way to find me is exitoasis.com or I'm really active on LinkedIn. So there's there's a couple Mike Fingers out there, but not many. So give a quick search on LinkedIn for Mike Finger and you'll find me. And that's uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Mike hyphen or dash finger. Um, so I put that on the screen. If you're looking, it'll be in the show notes for people that are um, – can you know if you're not driving down the road listen to the podcast if you look at the show notes his the link to him will be on there so um what does it look like to we got a few minutes left uh i guess the the favorite question is how can we support you like what is there what can myself or the audience do to to help you get to the next level no i, mean, I appreciate that i truthfully this for me has been as much about mission as it has about money um i, I we've we've created a blog on Exit Oasis, where we curate some great content, uh, we produce some content, um, start learning. It, it, a, simple, a simple ask that I ask small business owners is to set a, a, a lunch date with themselves every month. Uh, set aside 30 minutes every month uh, to, uh, and this is a lunch date with your future self. This is a lunch date where you're going to learn about selling a business, watch a video. You've had some great guests on here who produce some wonderful content. Watch a video, listen to a podcast, read an article, educate yourself about if you uh, about what will be, if it happens, the largest financial transaction in your life. Um, that helps me. That that that's the mission stuff for me. That's that's what I'm looking for is to help small business owners experience that same miracle I did. It's uh, the life do over opportunity. Whether you are 67 or 37 um, is substantial, and there's basics that you can pursue that can make that possible. Uh, give yourself the benefit of doing that. Uh, check out the website if you want to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, again, I, what I do is I coach small business owners. So uh, whether I can do that, whether I do that one or one, or we get some of those same successes because you pursue and read the content, fabulous. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming here today and helping out. I think it's been very informative to to myself and the audience. Uh, I like you have you have a different 
uh, view on things having been there. And uh, I think that's a huge value to, to anybody that needs your service because you've, you've walked in their shoes. You're not just a broker that came out of, you know, came out of college, got a brokerage and never went through the process yourself. You've got the battle battle wounds to, and the scars to understand why you, to, to drive your passion, right. To decide, decide to do in this and stay in the space. So thank you for that. My, um, my pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. Yeah. So I'm going to end the show. This is the show uh, today, guys. Thank you. And hang out for just a second afterwards, and we'll call it the end. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even... Tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's TIEPM.com. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.